Welcome to On Course, the New England Golf Journal podcast. I'm Sean Melia, the editor, and I am joined by my co-host, my esteemed co-host and feature writer, Jim McCabe. Jim, it's our first podcast. How about that? How about that? How about that? <laughs> we made it. We made we it did. all the way here. Sitting <laughs> in the studio together. I think the last time we were in person talking about golf was at the Womet this past summer, standing around the 18th green as people came through, yeah. and yeah. Ryan Downs beat everybody as a 16-year-old. Yeah. It was a little warmer. It was absolutely a little warmer. So this this is our first episode. We have Matt Parziali coming on to talk about his time playing in the Masters. He played in it five years ago. But you also have some pretty great, pretty great background with the Masters. You've covered it for a number of years, and you are going back down this year. But you were telling me that you're, you make it a road trip. This year. This year, you're making it a road trip to get down to Augusta. So you are not flying. You are driving. I am driving now. And you're going to make some people jealous. What's your your trip um, looking like to get down to? Well, after, before when I was working for Boston Globe, Golf Week, PGA Tour, it was like, that was my assignment. Now I'm freelance. I'm casual. Okay. I don't need, I pack my my, uh, car. And I head down on Saturday, and my wife would say, well, when's the Masters? And I said, well, it ends Easter Sunday, April 11th. She goes, oh, when are you going down? I said, March 25th. And she looks at me like, why? <laughs> I said, well, I'm driving, and if you take a map and you draw a straight line from Boston to Augusta, Georgia. Yep. I think it goes through Pinehurst, North Carolina. You could make it go through Pinehurst yeah. however you want. Yep. So <laughs> I, I hit the road Saturday. I meander down 95 or however I decide to drive, and I will stop in Pinehurst for four days to play some golf. Soak in the ambiance. It is, I suspect, a lot of people have been there. If they have, I don't have to tell them. If they haven't, I will tell them that it is. The ambiance is pretty special at Pinehurst, and we're fortunate that we have a lot of great friends down there. So we'll get down there and hopefully be a little warm. Yep. And play some golf. So are you playing just Pinehurst Resort golf courses? This this year. I did this last year, so this is going to be kind of my routine, I think, going forward. Nice. For as long as I am capable of doing it. Last year we played off campus a little bit. We played Pinehurst number one. I hadn't played Pinehurst number one in probably 10 years. Okay. Played Pinehurst number one, then we went over, played Mid Pines. Yep. Played Southern Pines. Yeah. Which was extremely fantastic just redone redone yeah bunkering is just i mean i they're great to look at i don't suggest you get in them <laughs> and then we played the cradle yeah and, and always you, good time. you, you, you want to play the cradle and yeah we had, we had a marvelous time this year we're gonna more on campus we're probably uh, number two is, is circled i think we're gonna play number two we're gonna i think we're playing the evens two four and eight nice yeah, and I've played eight before. I love eight. Never played four, and now it's I never saw it before. So now it's a Gilhans. It's re- awesome. redo all, all all new. I guess I, I suspect that's good. So for the week of, I find it to be from the way I used to travel to the Masters was hop on the five forty five a.m. flight on Sunday morning, get down there, and you just hit the ground running, and you you kind of frenzied by Monday. Yeah, I and mean, the tournament hasn't even begun. So. I said, why not? I'm capable. I'm, I have this. I'm blessed to be able to do this right now, and I'm going to do it. What's what's What would be one tip 
for someone going to Pinehurst that you would give them if they were a first-timer? I've got my own answer for this, but I want to hear yours first. I would walk around the village. Yeah. Just circle the village a couple of times, look in the shops. They have a couple of antique golf memorabilia shops. They have characters down there. They have people who have been probably haven't been out of Pinehurst in 45 <laughs> years. Go up and watch the crowd around number two going off, going out to the cradle, the putting green, walk through the Pinehurst clubhouse. Yep. Go over to the Carolina and walk through that clubhouse. Yes, you're going to play golf. And the golf is tremendous. It, just the whole aura of the place. It's golf. It is. It, yep. That's why it's like you feel like you don't feel out of place down there because you came down to play golf because so did 99% of the people that are around you. Yeah. I went down in June with my wife. It was a Christmas gift that she gave to me. And she said, let's go to Pinehurst. She Googled yeah. actually like best places for a non-golfer to go with a golfer kind of. And so yeah, Pinehurst came up. Yeah, I would. No, no, um, good for her. And so she said, let's go. So we, we took a road trip down and uh, it was she loved it. It was really great. Mm -hmm. We she we brought a couple of her clubs and we played the cradle together one afternoon. And she it's she walked number two with me. So we had wow. a we had a seven thirty AM tea time. We had the first group off number two on this like beautiful morning and we get to the pro shop and we just asked like, Hey, can she is she okay to walk with us in our group? He said, absolutely. So I was, yeah. I was a single. I was playing with two guys I played with the day before and then, a, and then another single from Boston. And, like, my wife just walked, took pictures, and it was a really neat way for her to see, like, this place is awesome. Mm -hmm. No question. Yeah, it, it was a really great. I'd also tell anyone, if you miss the breakfast at the Carolina, <laughs> you're doing it wrong because that's, like, yes. the best breakfast in yes. that I've ever had. It's, there was a grand piano playing over... Like at six in the morning, there was a person yeah. there in, in like a black tie playing classical music as people yeah, are eating it, omelets. It, it, that that no question. I yeah. mean, if you go, you get to walk through the whole Carolina and see the pictures. Yeah, and everything, the history. And, yeah, it's it's a special place, and I tell people all the time that you can drive down there. It's not a it's not crazy. Bad. It's it's you know you can get there. You can take your time. Maybe I usually get down to Virginia somewhere, spend the night, and exactly continue the next because I'm. My pl plan is built around golf. Everything in life is planned around golf. I, I suspect <laughs> that's everybody. Yeah. So I drive down and I time it so that I get to a hotel to watch the Saturday afternoon of the, the tournament this week. Yep. Be the match play. Yep. So and then I wake up Sunday morning. And we're, we're not playing um, meeting friends and we're not playing. We're, our only golf Sunday is going to be the cradle. And we have like a four forty five tea time, oh, so amazing. we so we can finish at five o'clock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 40, real quick, forty minutes to play. Nine is a blast. Yeah, get a couple transfusions yes. at the bar, and, and yeah, we'll and be good. Finish your round. So then you go to the Masters. Mm -hmm. You've been to the Masters. You said twenty. This is your twenty twenty fourth year. Okay. Did they give you anything for twenty five? Do you get like no. a, nothing? No. They no. just you just they, get to show uh, up for they, the twenty fifth time. They they treat you with great respect every year, yeah, and they <laughs> truly truly do. So I don't. They, a couple of years ago, they started citing people for 40, 40 years in the Masters. Yeah. And it's kind of a cool gift they give them. So when the Eisenhower tree came down on 17, yeah. and they, you know, the tree falls down, what do you do? You cut it up. And yeah. You, they give plaques, pieces of the Eisenhower tree, but oh, you got to be 40 cool. years. I'm you got a long I'm, way to I'm, go. I'm not going to make 40, <laughs> but I'm pretty proud of 24 straight years. I can still, I can tell you. 
Every, and then the question I used to always get was, why do you go down? It's so, so early on the 545 flight out of Boston. I said, only it was, they don't have one at 445. I, I, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to get there. It's, it's still a tournament. I can't wait to get there. It's just the greenest and coolest awesome. place in the world to see. And I, I, I always like seeing it. Now we can go in er, even earlier. And they have the media there earlier. I work now for masters.com. It's I'm blessed to have that. And they want you there early because the drive, chip, and putt. And, well, yep. the woman's invitation. Yeah, yeah. That that place is, it's it's hopping. I mean, there's people around there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Masters Week hasn't technically started. Masters Week doesn't begin until they open the gates to the patrons on Monday. Right. But there's so much going on there, and the people you see, I just, I, I love it. I can't wait to get there. So you, I mean, you started in, so 99 was your first one, is that? Uh, 2000. 2000, okay. So you're in, like, you're in Tiger mm-hmm. Central in 2000. He's won, yep. he won in 97, and then didn't win again until 01. Or did he win in 2000? He No, he did not win the Masters in 2000. VJ Singh won VJ Singh won. And then Tiger... The next major that we is at Pebble Beach when... One of the Tiger Slam then. Yeah, he yeah. started the Tiger Slam, with, which I still consider the closest anyone's ever come to playing a perfect tournament of golf. It yep. was Pebble Beach 2000. 2001 is when he did win the Cactus. Masters. Tiger Slam. Uh, correct. Yeah, okay. So what? What? going back all these times, what's the biggest... What's What's changed the most in your experience down there or what the masters has kind of become because it really has grown i mean it's it's been around for almost 100 years now but i'd say the last 20 years just in the way it's covered uh, the uh, the opportunity to see the whole golf course i think from the outsider's perspective it is just a it's probably the best golf experience from your couch no for the what is what kind of as someone who goes down there and is part of the media have you is there anything that has changed for you over those 24 years or big big um well the change specifically for media for my purposes the the, one of the biggest changes is the attention you pay to the drive chip and putt yep the attention you pay to the anwa the these uh, these women are there and you you just got to catch yourself sometimes say wait a minute they're playing they're out there playing a national championship. It's the women's Augusta Women's Invitational, Augusta National Women's Amateur. Women's Amateur. Yep. They're tremendous. And some of them are going to be LP. They're going to be professionals. They're going For to be sure. Really good. And you're watching them, and you catch yourself thinking, "Wait a minute, they're doing this," and then seamlessly they okay. Now on to the Masters and hasn't missed a bit. bit. I don't, I see the, I, I know they've made changes to the golf course. That, I, that's not something I really look at. The, the greatest thing about the place in, in, is doesn't change. <laughs> that's and fair. That, that's okay. the coolest thing about it. It's yeah. timeless. It's frozen in time. And the you see the same people, the same members. It, it is. And when people go down there and they ask me, well, what should I do? I said, just walk the golf course. Keep yep. walking the golf course. And don't stop looking. <laughs> yeah. You don't have your phone. Thank, thank yeah. goodness. Watch, watch the golf. Watch the golf course. Yeah. For people who haven't been, I got to go on a Monday in 2018 just by luck my buddy won the raffle which is like getting hit by lightning to get yeah. tickets and as a spectator it was i think it was 75 bucks for the ticket and then i might have had 25 dollars 
cash in my pocket, and I had a couple beers, yep. a couple pimento cheese sandwiches, and it's like at, parking is free. Like the whole experience was was like we wa- we all left completely blown away by how great it was, and it is amazing now that they have from Friday before the Masters, they have the women practicing. They get a practice, practice round on the on Friday. Friday. And they then Saturday. they play the final competitive round of the ANWA on Saturday. Then they have kids from ages 7 to 14 in drive, chip, and putt. And then yeah. Monday, the pros are there. It's this, like, really interesting it's, it, nine days it's, at a golf course. It's crazy. And they do not do not differentiate. The, the drive, chip, and putt competitors are treated the same way Freddie Couples and Tiger Woods are. Yep. They really, truly are. Yeah. And it's the most seamless operation. There's very few blips yeah. in the way they run things. Yeah. All right, last question before we get mad in here. Prediction for the Masters. Who's going to win? Do you have a winner already? Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is your pick. Yeah. Lock he, it in. He, yeah, well, I, I, I always want a guy that I know deep down <laughs> is going to play well there. Yep. Has he failed to finish off a couple of tournaments recently? I said he's saving it for a guy. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Jordan Spieth, everyone write it down. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking for all of the latest golf news and information on the competitive golf scene in New England? New England Golf Journal is your source with in-depth coverage on college, prep, high school, recruiting, commits, amateurs, and the pros. To learn more and to receive the weekly New England Golf Journal Insider Newsletter, check out negolfjournal.com to experience our best-in-class golf content on the region's golf scene. And don't forget to subscribe to have our quarterly glossy New England Golf Journal print magazine delivered to your home, club, or office. Just click on the subscribe button and find the subscription that is right for you today. New England Golf Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. I want to welcome Matt Parziali into the On Course podcast. Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Super yeah, exciting to, uh, to be here with a former Masters player, which is kind of mainly why we wanted to talk to you today. It's Masters Week. Yep. And you played in it five years ago. So I thought we could kind of just just jump in five years thinking back to your time at Augusta National. I was actually there, too, on the Monday. Are there memories or things that just continue to pop into your head now as, as this week uh, approaches every year? Yeah, it hits more when uh, Masters Week is upon us. I don't really think about it other than that. But definitely excited to watch. They got some changes to the course that I've seen through social media, yeah. So excited to see those, but yeah, that tournament always does it for me. It gets kind of the kickstart to the golf season, True. and uh, yeah, very excited. Yeah, what's uh, any any specific moments from from that week that kind of come back to you or you think about? I mean, just being able to compete with the best players in the world—it's kind of what I've always wanted to do. 
and that was my first taste of it. Then I was all, I was able to do it a couple more times since then. But uh, no, that was that's what I always wanted, and that was it was so fun to be able to just do it. And the unknown of how I was going to feel out there yeah. was the coolest part. And I knew it would turn to golf at some point, but uh, it was it was pretty much golf from the start. I mean, I didn't play as well as I would have liked, but I was in the right mindset to play well. I just didn't have it go my way. Yeah. Anything you took with you that you still like, as far as you just mentioned playing with the best players in the world. Something that you have in your game now that that you have taken from that or the U.S. Opens that you played in playing with the best players in the world? Yeah, I think that's a tough question because I have it in my head of what I've learned, but I haven't really been able to do that since. So there's like a, there's a balance there, I think. Like you get some understanding, but then you don't implement it as, as soon as you'd like. So I'm still trying to do that to this day of how to improve and keep going. And it's still a lot of lessons that I learned during that and then the two U.S. Opens as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm just curious because I was there and I look back, I had to go back and refresh my memory what your scores were because what the takeaway for me was, my goodness, everyone's going to remember that Matt played on Wednesday with Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, as I know as a competitor that maybe wasn't your highlight, but that was, was that a great takeaway? Yeah, he was incredible. We only played nine holes, but every hole right. he gave me some advice on the greens. He would tell me come from this side if the pin's there and then I remember on the seventh hole I grabbed driver walking off the sixth screen and he goes hey grab three wood because if it's downwind you're going to want to hit three wood here not driver so he was incredible with that and he was so kind to play with and Freddie was there too and they were just trying to help me to give me as much information as possible going into Thursday. What is your first impression it seems to me the huge majority of people when they see it for the first time especially I think anyone really is a patron or what is the elevation, the mm-hmm. ups and downs. You don't really appreciate that on TV. Was that your biggest thing? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of hills out there. The hills don't come into play as much as the undulation of under your feet. And that's where I think I lost some shots, where I think I had a, a good game plan of going into a green, for where, I, but the elevation of your feet, you don't feel it as much as it really is there. The ups and downs, like, like one, you go, you hit it, you go down and straight back up. So it really doesn't affect the shot that much. It just affects your walk. But it was more the undulation in your feet that, that gets you more, more so than the ups and downs of elevation, taking yards off or adding yards on. So when you say that, are you talking about just like the scope of the walk or uneven uneven lies and the, and the just kind of figuring all of that out and where the, how the ball is going to come out because you've got the ball above or below your feet. Yeah, the, on the shot, not, yeah. not so much the walk. Like, like 13, obviously, is a hanger lie almost every shot. So I did hit one of my better shots there in the second round mm-hmm. because I was aware of it by then. I, I had 27 or 29 holes to, <laughs> to, to adjust, and that was the biggest takeaway is, yeah, the greens firm up, they get faster, there's no moisture, but I started to figure out the undulations more, the back nine of my second day, and that's when I actually played the best. So it is true, you, first-timers have a tough go there. Yep. So uh, hopefully I have another chance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's going to be always on your mind when you when you put your name to the medium entry. Yes, sir. I mean, that's it was before I won. So that's that's what mid-ams want to do is try to get that and then have that opportunity. But just because I did it once doesn't mean it's any less now. So Yeah, yeah. Scott, I interviewed Scott Harvey, who's won it, I think, the USAM twi- mid-am twice. And he was talking about, like, going back after winning it once and knowing, like, the Masters is there kind of adds this next level of pressure competing in the U.S. mid-am. That's at least how he felt. Yeah, Scott's one of my best friends. So we talk about that a lot. 
it doesn't make it easier, but it makes it more fun. Yeah. Like the, it's a tougher mountain to climb now because you was on the other side, but him and I are the same. We just want to keep doing it until we can't anymore. So we have some fun together. That shot on 13, is that how you got your eagle? Yeah, right? I was able to hit driver there, which I wasn't planning on it, but then there was some wind. I don't turn the driver over that well. And I just felt like Sean and I had been working on it, Sean Hester and I, trying to hit a draw there because you, you need some shots. I was like, you know what? I, I wasn't playing that well. Let's see if we can. And I really got a good one. I only had seven iron in. Pin was the front right, and I was able to land it just two paces on, and it was ended up about 12, 15 feet past the hole. Rolled it in? I did. And got your crystal. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know you got crystal. You, you didn't I know made that. it, and Brennan still goes, hey, you got some crystal. And I was like, all right, I didn't really think of anything. Then we're walking to 13, 14. Yeah. I go, what did you mean? He goes, oh, they give you crystal for every eagle. I had no idea. So that was a nice surprise. Where is it? It's in my, uh, we have a little bar at our house. It's in one of the cabinets. I probably drank out of the glass three or four times. The first time was with Alex Jeffers, and he almost broke it. I think he was a little nervous holding it. So <laughs> it's, still, it's still intact. You, you're not competing there this year, but you know about the changes. So you, while you're talking about 13, that is, the hole itself hasn't changed pretty much. Same except just the alteration to the tee box. Have you read the details and you kind of know the, what they've done back there? And just curious, knowing what they've done, how does it change the hole? I mean, I think it's going to be, I mean, Rory's first comment was, it's a five iron now. So he didn't seem too concerned about the distance, but he's obviously one of the longer players and one of the better drivers of the golf ball. So I just think you're going to have to, that cutting the corner, I never even had that option. I didn't hit it high enough at the time with the, the equipment I have to get it up over that. And they also move some trees. They bend some trees towards the tee Mirac- to cover. Miraculous how that stuff happens. It's unbelievable, yeah. <laughs> so, and Roy's one who pointed that out to me. So I don't think they have to do as much as that anymore. So it's more natural, just the length, and it's going to force the players to be a little bit more to the right. But I'm excited. I, they, they're always trying to improve and make it the best competition of the year. And their goal is to have everyone hit 14 drivers. What I've always read when you talk to players, what I always talk to players about is of all the places, once competition starts, of all the places in the golf course, there's, even though the fans, the patrons aren't right on top of you, they, they're there. Then you get to 13T, and it's like another world. It's so quiet. What's it like back there in, in, in tournaments? Yeah, that was actually one of the things Tiger said to me. We were walking off too, and the crowds were obviously crazy when I was playing with Tiger. So it's a nice taste of being able to play in front of people. And he said the only only place you have to get away from them is 12 green and 13 tee. And that is true. It's uh, you Back then, you can look back and you just see the waves of people. There wasn't as many watching me as there are, obviously, on Sunday afternoon. But uh, the crowds are always full there. So it is cool to take it back from there because when they're on top of you, it's tough to kind of look at them and, and see. But from that view, you can kind of see who you're playing in front of and, and all that. So it's a really cool experience. And I know they, that was important to the Masters officials to keep that peace back there, the serenity and everything. But when I'm reading the details of what they have done to the tee box, it's just remarkable how was, no one's going to notice except the Rory McElroys of the world, the Matpazialis of the world, if you were there. You'd know the changes. And to a golfer, the sight line is everything. And I guess the sight line really hasn't changed that much, except it's a little more... They basically want to take the guy... They don't want a guy whipping it around the corner with a three-wood. They want the driver back in the end. Yep. And going through that fairway is not... 
upright, and then it's a layup. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Phil Mickelson, right? <laughs> yeah, I think like and there was a there was a gap where Bubba Watson would take it up and over, and he would have a wedge in at times if he could right. do it. So that's what they're like. If I don't think they're too worried about him turning the corner because you got to hit a shot there. They just didn't want the high ball going up over the over the trees and mm-hmm. taking the the shot making out of it. So if you want to try and turn the corner, you obviously have the creek down the left. You, you have some risk reward there. Before it was just up and over. Hit it as hard as you can and have a nine iron in. So I think I think it's going to be a nice change. And if you ever hang a liar with a five or four iron or whatever you have, it's a tough shot coming into that green. I had a, it was a tough time hitting the seven iron that I had in. So it'll be interesting, and I'm excited to see it. I was I was watching uh, the '96 Masters on YouTube. Phil, I kind of put it on the last few nights because I'm sicko and watching Faldo and Norman make an actual decision on 13 was really interesting. I mean, Norman was in the pine straw, but Faldo was kind of on a hanging lie and he pulled one club and then he kind of thought about it and then put another club in and it would be, I'm interested to see if that comes back on Sunday and we get some guys who actually have to maybe make a choice about hitting a really tough shot into that green. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, you're standing over that 7-iron, 6-iron, 5-iron and you're over it and you're like, oh wow, this is a lot more slope here. And you have to think about it, like, do I want to take more club and hit it softer or inter- or less club and turn it. So it's, there's a lot of decisions. So I think you're, you're dead on there. Of, there's going to be some more strategy for that second shot of what they're going to do. What? So obviously the playing is one thing. You're there for a week, the the Tuesday night amateur dinner. What, what was that experience like? I, I kind of looked up the other AMs that played that year who are now on tour or playing professionally. Doug Gim, Doc Redman, Joaquin Neiman were there out a dinner with you does does a pro come in is there a speaker how, how, what's that night like before yeah matt fitzpatrick was the one who spoke for that dinner and they also have other speakers masters members and so on and so forth so it's it's a great night you start in uh, i mean that place is so big i don't even remember where that dinner was but it was it was a room there with a little barrier so we, we started out there and then you go in and they do a presentation of everyone all the amateurs that are there how they got there so they cool. showed they showed my video of the mid am they showed Joaquim of the Latin America they showed Doc and Doug of the USAM yep. Harry Ellis of the British am yep and there's someone else I'm forgetting but uh, there's the Asian Zin I think his name oh was, yeah right? yeah so yeah. how how he got in so they yeah. they do a whole thing and and then I believe Joaquim was the amateur who spoke that night and he did a great job and just kind of talked about the opportunity to play there and then most of us stayed in the crow's nest for that night that you was did, okay. that was the only night i stayed yeah and it, the it was actually monday night because it was the national championship of the oh, right. basketball yeah so we we watched that upstairs after the dinner and then we just, it was went to went to bed so it was it was a good time what's the crow's nest like it was it was great. I mean, it's a small small little area, but it's it's really cool just to do it. You kind of on top of everyone, but it's 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 great. Yeah, it, it was a nice experience. But I couldn't do it every night. It was a that's yeah, it was a that's little. Little, it was like that was more like the sleep in the fire station. So I was trying to stay away from that. You when you're talking about the dinner they have for the amateurs, there's four, five, six, seven amateurs. The thing that's always struck me about Augusta when you're there for the Masters is if you're in the print media, it's like they think you're they think you're important. They they treat you like you. The images, they treat you like that. It's just the way they embrace everyone who's there that you're part, you are truly part of the the tournament. Mm-hmm. Is that did you get that sense from the get-go? You got that from the first time I drove in the gate when they knew you were going to be an amateur competing. I every guy said one of you amateurs is going to win one of these years and they're all excited even <laughs> even the staff. So, I mean that was what Augusta was built on was amateur golf. So, 
to be able to keep that tradition and what they're doing with the women's now, letting mm. having that tournament, Correct. they're trying to keep that going. Even even though the best players in the world are coming, they're still giving amateurs the opportunity to to compete there. And you, you that Sunday with the drive, chip and putt, I'll readily admit, jaded, crusty old media person, we're like, this is this is silly. When they debuted, I think in fourteen, mm-hmm. and. And now I look at it, I'm like, my goodness, this is this is legit. Yeah. yeah, I went out there for that. I was I was there Sunday. I was playing in the afternoon, and I, I went over to check it out. And I was, I mean, I, I thought I would like it, but I was very impressed with yeah. the way it went. The kids were so excited. You could just see the throw on their face to be able to do that and to just be there and to compete in some way was, was rewarding for them. And it was, there was a bunch of players, not even myself, out there just watching them compete. So really cool experience, right. and Augusta did a good job of that. No question. Kind of shifting gears, just we are our New England Golf Journal really focuses on kind of junior golf, college golf, kids coming up, and you obviously have had a pretty successful career in the game of golf. You were pro for a little bit. You've had some great success as an amateur. It just can you take us through kind of your experience as a junior golfer and how you maybe got into the game and what pathway you took to to kind of get to where you are now? Yeah, so uh, my dad introduced me when I was pretty young. We just hit hit golf balls at the Brockton Fairgrounds for five or six years. And then we started playing on a course, and I just fell in love with it. And that was when Tiger was – I remember yeah. the 97 Masters was the first tournament I remember watching. So mm-hmm. I was able to watch him during those dominant years, which made me love the game. I wasn't that good in high school. If I broke 80, I was pretty happy. I never qualified for a state amateur. I had some success. I, I went to the big eye two years in a row, the Nationals, one year nice. in Oklahoma, one year in – Indiana and then I didn't really have that many chances to go to a bigger college so I went to Southeast University in Florida and that's where I I was able to improve I think for me I just never stopped loving it and never stopped wanting to get better don't get me wrong there's been ups and downs where the last thing I want to do is hit a golf ball but it never that was just on the outside on the inside there was always way how am I going to figure this out how am I going to get back on track and uh, that's I mean that's my story there it's just never I've never been satisfied but I, I wouldn't have it any other way what are some of those moments where you felt like you didn't want to hit a golf ball? First time was in college. I had a really good couple of years. No, I'm sorry. I had a good first year and a half, good freshman year, good first half of the sophomore year. Then I went into a slump coming back from Christmas break. I had a little bit of an injury with a shoulder. Didn't give that enough credit. Probably tried to force it and then suffered that whole semester until I went home from, until I came back up here. And then just working through it. And then that's when I realized like it's okay to to have these dips and if you look at anyone other than tiger woods everyone has these (laughs) these dips in golf but tiger woods gave us this whole his whole career was just good golf after good golf after good golf swing change here swing change there and he just kept going so he's not the one to look at you look at anyone else and it's all about the not letting the bottom get as low and trying to get the high to stay as long as possible so it took me 35 years to kind of figure that out but i'm glad i figured it out at this point how often are you approached by a parent saying, oh, my, my kid wants to play junior golf? What do, you, do you have a go-to number one suggestion, tip? Just Let them do it their own way. My dad was great at that. I mean, don't he help me, but he introduced me to the game and showed me the things he thought he should, but he let me fall in love with it. So I see the with the junior game, I'm not trying to single parents out, but I'm just saying like a lot of the time they probably put a little too much pressure on them. And 
you have to love golf to be able to get good at this. You can't just be good at it because you have skill and you work hard. The love of it is what's going to let you win tournaments. It's not going to just be hitting the shots. And I think that that's where golf has a little bit lost its in, in recent years, it's all became a little more science than it is art. So if you love it, the art's always there, even though if you add the science in of the track man and the swing and the fitness and all this, all that's great. But you, I think you have to love the game to be able to win consistently and have a, a long career. When you went to college, was your goal, I just want to go to a college where I can play? Was that important to you or was, it, was that your focus? This is going to sound crazy. In the back of my head, I wanted to play golf as a, for a living, even though I wasn't that good. But so then the next goal beyond, behind that was just to go to a college where I could play every day and be on the team and have a chance to compete in warm weather and be able to and see how good I could get. And then I was able to have some success there and, and try turning pro. But, I mean, I look back and there's no regrets of the paths I took. I think I made the right decision for the information I had at the time. And, I, I mean, I'll... I was able to play in the Masters and two US Opens to date. So, and I still have the the hunger and drive to to do more. So, I don't I don't regret any of those decisions even though people say I might have made the wrong decision of giving up. That's their own that's their own no, opinion. There's no blueprint. Exactly. And to your point about you want I think one from my my perspective, I look back, I look at the scene, I think kids and they forget if your goal is to play college golf, then go somewhere where you can play. Make that a part of, it, part of your education. Part mm-hmm. of, if that's what burns within you to play, don't, don't, don't discount a lot of colleges that you could go to to play. Yeah, the school I went to, we weren't even in the NAI when I went there. We joined after that, but it was just a small school. We played in all the same tournaments, but you're right. I was able to practice and play and compete in all the events, and that was the biggest mm-hmm. thing for my improvement of of golf that I could ever ask for. I mean, I've, since then, I mean, I think I've made bigger strides, but that was the base right. of me able to learn the competition, learn how to play, learn how to compete, and learn how to win. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a tough landscape. Sometimes you have to go outside your box, too, to play, and tough to play college golf in New England, so you have to know that going in. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel that you're an example of someone that, Look at what Matt did. He went to a school where he played. Yeah, I look at a lot of the kids that go to, say, I'm just using big schools, Alabama, Florida, and there's six or seven on the team. They're really good. The five guys ahead of them, they might not be on the PJ Tour. If you don't have that competition of playing in tournaments, that's where I think the college golfer today gets lost. So I'm a big, I'm a big fan of going to a school where you can go there, be one of the better players, and that's where you're going to get the experience. It's not just being a part of a school that has a good name. How about just as far, you kind of mentioned art and science, instruction for you as a junior, and are you, were you someone who was getting lessons pretty early on? Were you just trying to figure it out? Were you driven by just trying to compete with your peers? How did that work for you? So for me, it was 90% competing with my friends, just trying to beat them every day. And then... When I joined Thorny Lee, my dad taught me everything until I was probably 8th or ninth grade. And I joined Thorny Lee, and Peter Norton would help me out. Robbie Thompson would help me out. He was the assistant at the time. And those were probably my first two real lessons from, from those two people. And then I started working with Tom Kavicki when I was 16 or 17. I worked with him through, through college, but then midway through college, me being in Florida kind of had our went our own ways and then kind of did my own thing from then until I turned pro and then that's when I started working with Sean Hester in 2010 and I've been with him since so yeah. 
You know what it is for it's not it's not the teacher. It's uh, everyone loves this game. It's it's teaching. They have their own. You just got to find someone that works well with you and understands what motivates you and understands how to get you into the right spot. Sean and I have had ups and downs, but I would I would always say that he's always every time I leave him, I'm excited for for what happened. I've never not been excited, even though when I've been at a at a bad place with my game. Yeah, a little bit of hope. Yeah, right. Exactly. Always <laughs> definitely helps for Your sure. Years as a uh, a pro, you used to cross paths and play a little bit with Johnny Curran of uh, young Hooters, I guess. So you did three years together. Yeah. John John raved about you as a partner. Yeah, we had some fun. <laughs> what was life like at that level? What don't people appreciate about that part of your life? I don't even I don't even care if people don't appreciate it. I had so much fun competing with those guys. We had four or five guys that we'd travel all over together, two or three cars, driving through the night after missing a Monday to the next Hooters. I mean, I'll never those are my most vivid memories that I that I have of the game. And John and I, we did it for three years. John was the last one that like Keegan obviously got on tour pretty quickly. Um, it was my first winter down there when he got through Q school and was able to then get on nationwide at the time. So it was me, John, George Lotus, Tommy Parker. That was pretty much the four of us, and we just kept going. And then at the last year, it was me and John, and I told John at the end of the year, I was like, this is my last one. And John kept going, and he, he, he had yeah. it until he had that injury. Yep. But he's, yeah. I mean, he's got so much talent. It's just unfortunate that yeah. he, got, he got injured at that time. But he's doing great. Still really good friends with him. And he's great. Yeah, he's one of my, he's one of my favorite he's, people. He's someone I circle, and I always wonder if, 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 if he wins that playoff, if he wins Memorial, I mean, it's not quote unquote a major, but it, it's pretty damn close. No, that's a that's a big jump to yeah. your to just everything of what professional yeah. golf, the opportunities that come after that, and it's just unfortunate that he's so close at Puerto Rico and so close at Memorial. Oh. But yeah, he's he's doing great, and I mean, he's still probably the best wedge player in the world. So if he wanted to that's, go again, I'm sure he would he'd figure it out. Yeah, a lot of guys would love his wedge game. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I was talking to Colin Brennan, another guy who kind of gave it a run, and he was talking about the idea of the switch for him was when he started to worry about kind of everyone else on the golf course and less about him and just playing golf. And that was for him like the moment where he realized, like, I, I think it might be time to go home. What, what Was there a moment for you or like a f- feeling for you that shifted with your experience in the game or playing in events? So I don't think the competition has ever changed for me whatever, what, with whatever level I've been at. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I don't think these things, like those, those thoughts. But my decision for not playing professional golf was I'm 35 now, and if I kept going for 10 more years, I'd be 35. If it didn't work out, I don't know where I would start. So mm. as much as I love competing, I still need to be aware of a, a life and what I want to do and like have a family and – be able to make some money to not be just driving around living in your car. So that was more of the decision for me. But the competition, that's never changed. So, yeah, you look at other players and you think you have to do all these things, and that's that's just part of being a human, I think. But that wasn't my, my decision to stop. It was more of the life after golf. If I'd never got on the PGA Tour, of what would I do for a career and that kind of thing? Yeah. I would just think, too, that people can, oh, you left professional golf – you're a medium in this country. You're an elite medium status. That's you. You could argue it's probably the best competition you can play outside of AAA pro golf or whatever. It is really, really good. It's never been better. Yeah, it's incredible. And the, the courses we get to play are, <laughs> are pretty special. We get to go to Seminole each year, 
Pine Valley. I haven't been able to go to LACC for the Thomas in the past five years. I would love to at some point. It just hasn't fit my schedule in June to go across the country, but we're spoiled. And you become such good friends with these guys. Like I said, Scott Harvey lives in North Carolina, and I consider him one of my best friends. It's special to be able to be a part of that group, but it's the group of guys that make that. It's not, yeah, the, the tournaments do all this stuff for us, and make, but the group of guys that go from each event and put the time in to stay ready, the money it costs to, to do this and to, and to the sacrifices they make for their family, I mean... Yeah, people might think that, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say is, that we're neglecting other things yeah. in life, but it's actually such a special part of the game of golf that, um, you're right, it's it's incredible to be a part of it. What's your favorite AM tournament? You're going to get me in trouble here. There's a lot of them. So it's definitely, I mean, I like Pine Valley just because it's on site. It's match play. It's just an incredible experience. I mean, and then Seminole's right behind it for that. Yeah. That's the one, too, for me. Uh, the, the reason I circle the pine or the crump mm-hmm. is the format. It's, exactly. You, you look down the list and you see, oh, my goodness, he's in the sixth flight. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that isn't reflective of his talent because yeah. he's so good. I just think that format makes that thing so special. It is. And that course, to be able to, like, just to compete on it. Um, I've had mm-hmm. so many good rounds going, and then you hit one a little offline. You're under a tree in a bunker in the yeah. woods. And it's like, I, I mean, an 11 is maybe the best score you can make. So thank God you get to match play after two rounds, because then those <laughs> don't really matter. But, uh, yeah, I've played five years. I've only made the championship flight twice. And I've been in the, the second yeah. flight three times. So it's hard to be in that top 16, because it's such such a demanding course. And right. if you're not on at all all aspects, you're going to find yourself in a, in a lower flight. Okay. Yeah, I we we ran into each other there on the Sunday this year. It was my birthday, and they they let me on to cover it, and it, it felt like everyone was just like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. Like they're just hanging out and watching groups come through. And you, I think you played in a. Is there an alternate shot for I the did, guys yeah. who who don't make the final day? And so you're like they want you there yeah. for the whole day or for the whole week, which is also really cool. It's not kind of like once you lose, you're you're going home. Exactly, they do a, they do a great job. If you, if you don't make a match. Um, there's a game on Saturday too. If yep. you don't make one of the one of the match plays, so right. they they do it like you, you can go play the par three course on Saturday and yep. have a competition. So yeah, it's really special. But that's that's the reason why it's that that's my favorite, yeah, just because format. of the weekend yeah. and everyone being there together. There's a dinner every night together, and then everyone's just hanging out in the same area. So it's it's really fun. Yeah. Before we get you out of here, I know you were before we started recording. You were talking about and you, you're hitting golf balls today. Yeah, I'm going right the now. First time. Yep. Since. November. Yep. I, I shut it down for the winters now. I'm not going to do much, but this year I had to get a little wrist surgery. So I'm six weeks out and I uh, got the okay on Monday from the doctor. So I'm going to go see Sean at the Harmon Club right now. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Get it started. And what's, uh, what's on just your schedule for the year? Is there anything new or are you kind of just, you're going to plug away and play in the, in the kind of the usual? Yeah, I'm going to do the Champions Cup with Herbie down in Houston, Texas. Awesome. That's the second week one, of man. April. The Coleman's the last week of April. And then Herbie and I qualified for the U.S. Ball last summer, so we're going to Kiowa in May, middle of May. So, And then other than that, hanging around here until the fall, obviously going to try and qualify for the U.S. Open, the USAM. That'll be the only time I travel in the summer unless something unexpected happens. But I, I love competing here in Mass. Mass Golf does an incredible job in, the, in like, great friends that I compete with here. So 
I'm excited for the season and get ready. I'm ready to get working at it. And forget about the Thomas. Go qualify for the U.S. Open and go play LACC, right? Yeah, don't worry about the Thomas. Good for you. And Essex will be a highlight. Yes. Yeah. It's one of my favorites in the state, so I'm sure they'll be ready for us. Yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, thanks for your time. Good luck uh, this season, and uh, we'll obviously be following along. So thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now it's time for another installment of Golf Course Confidential. Today we're going to talk about Bass River. So, Jim, I had this idea for this part of the podcast. I play a lot of golf, and I am also trying to play every course in Massachusetts. So I thought, well, we should find a way to spread some of this love to our listeners and let them know about places around the state that and around the region that maybe they've never heard of. So we're going to touch on Massachusetts. We'll talk about Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. New- Massachusetts golf is kind of near and dear to my heart. So I thought we could start with a golf course that is probably open this time of year. You can get on the South Shore and you can get to the Cape. So Bass River is where I thought we would go first. Good I have fun. played there one time. I really, really enjoyed it. It is in Yarmouth, Mass. It is I want to tell people it's affordable because I think that's important. It's 47 bucks to 67 bucks in season mm-hmm. if you want to go play. So the most expensive is going to be on the on the weekend. It's a Donald Ross design, which is always you can sometimes you can just throw a stone and hit a golf course that's designed yes, by Donald Ross around here. But the public one is great. So Bass River, what what comes to your mind? You're you're kind of smiling right now. You got a grin on your face. Well, I love Cape. I love the Cape. My nephews love the Cape. My friends love the Cape. We when we get on there, we love playing golf course and my nephew said to me, oh, "Uncle Jim, you always take us to Dennis Pines. You love Dennis Pines." <laughs> I do. You love Cranberry Valley. I do. Yeah. We want to go to somewhere else. They want to go to Black Bass River. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Hadn't played there in 10 years, 15 years or so, and I kind of, well, all right, well, come on, Uncle Jim, let's go. So, and I loved it, and I was trying to remember, why didn't I like it 10 years ago? I probably played terrible, and that should never <laughs> be a deciding factor, because I always looked at it. What I loved about Bass River, it was simple. It was different, and I mean different in that it wasn't like every tee shot, there were some tight shots. Yep. There was some, okay wide open i go to dennis pines i love it but there's a lot of people like oh my god if i get in the pine pine straw if i go through a dog leg one more time blah 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 (laughs) i don't hit it very far yep so i never really get in that much trouble with dennis pines but i i I was i (laughs) i I love bass river yeah we my nephew, that's his favorite Muni down, yeah. down the Cape. We all we, we could have eight of us sitting around talking about it, and we'll have seven different favorite Munis. Old Bonstable. Yep. Dennis Pines, Dennis Highlands, yep. Cranberry Valley. That's the glory of the Cape. Yeah. And that is so special. To, I, 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 what struck me about Bass River was the difference in the, it was a little open, it was a little tight, and then... The, the closing hole. Yes, let's talk about it. I got that. I got a note there. What about the closing hole? A lot of people don't like par threes. It, yep. As <laughs> a closing hole, I love them. I, you I, love them. I do. I okay, do. give it to me. Why? Well, I'll, I'll I'll tell you a quick history. My friends were doing the routing for Boston Golf Club. Yep. We now different. It's not a muni. It's private. And all the muni. Okay, we got all these routings, and we're going to end on a par three. And there's just looks of like, oh my God, par three, par three. John, the late John Minnick turned to me, goes, okay, Mr. Golf Guy, name me, name me one golf course, really good golf course, and ends on a par three. And I said, ever heard of Pasa Tiempo? 
Mm. And a big smile went across yep. John's face. That isn't the reason why they settled on it. The reason they settled at Boston Golf Club on a par three was the routing was fantastic. Yep. And it got us to the clubhouse. It got you to the clubhouse, par three. It's a good par three. Bass River is I the first time I remember my friends played. We got to the par the 18th hole. My friends were all, oh, I can't believe we're in a par three. It stinks. It stinks. <laughs> I'll only give you my, and I'm not a huge, I'm not a great golfer. I'm not a really good competitive golfer, but I, okay, fine. The match is all square. You get to a par three. Yep. Basically, you get one shot. You've already hit your drive. They hit your drive for you, right? And you, you get know, to put your peg you, in the ground you, and hit Now you got, a, you got one shot. You yeah. get, if you hit a bad tee, tee ball on a par three, okay, you're probably going to lose a hole. You hit a bad tee ball on a par four. You can recover. Par five definitely can recover. Yep. That's why I like it. Yeah. I, I, I do like them. They, and, they, and there's still that many of them. There is, there's actually a really quality list of courses that do end on par three. And my great friend Brad Klein rattled off like nine of them one day, ten of them. I know Pasa Tampo. I know Boston Golf Club, Eastlake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it. Yeah. Did I, I Congressional like have a par three finish? Congressional. Too? And they rerouted yeah. it, right? It was a. I believe it was a par three when Ernie Ells won the U.S. Open. Yeah, it was a big long one with water all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah. That so I usually don't love par threes. I'm on the other side of that argument. It just feels like it the it, the the round kind of comes to this funny end versus hitting yes. you know, two full two full shots. But the Bass River 18th is right on the Bass River. You're hitting. Yeah. It's on your left <laughs> side. You're kind of hitting. You're almost hitting over it. It's a mid iron shot. The the kind of really just small it's a great little clubhouse kind of very typical capey kind of feel just sitting right behind it the putting green is right on the bass river like those are the two spots you start your day putting getting ready for your round on the bass river and then you finish hitting a seven iron or an eight iron over the bass river it's probably one of my favorite par three 18th hole 18th holes i've played in this because there's there's a bunch of them in the state just in the courses i've played but i i do like i do like that hole I do. I, I I love Muni golf. I grew up playing Muni golf. I not, not that I ever learned how to play golf because I never did, but I learned to love golf at Ponky. Yep. I still think every golf course in this country should have a ball rack. Yeah. Right there, and who's got the who's got the who's got the top flight? Who's got the for t- when you the, put you put your ball yes, in? And you, yeah, yeah, that's how you get your tee time. You, know, you don't get online <laughs> and reserve a tee time. That's boring. Put your ball on the rack. Who's got the club special four? That's me. I love that. Yep. I love Muni golf, and if, but if I'm going to play Muni golf, I want to feel like I'm on a Muni golf course. And yeah. Bass River and the Cape Court Munis make you feel like you're playing Muni golf, and that's a good thing. Yep. Right? That's a Agreed. good thing because you see, you see all kinds of swings. You see all kind of the everything. Everything about Muni golf it, it appeals to me. And Bass River put me back in that. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're playing Muni golf today. Yeah. And I love it. Yep. That's how I felt when I walked off, too. It's definitely a place I would encourage everyone to go. Um, I played 36 that day. I went down the road and played Bayberry Hills. They have, yeah, they have another uh, good one. They have 27 holes there. I played 18 more. And it just was like a really, really good day in August on Cape Cod playing some Muni golf in Yarmouth. So I would, we would recommend it comes highly recommended, even though it finishes with a par 318th. Go check <laughs> out Bass River this summer or even the shoulder seasons when it's a little, maybe a little quieter, but it's, right. um, it's a great place to go play golf. Thanks for listening to On Course, the New England Golf Journal podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to Dave Yaz for producing today's podcast. 
The Encore's podcast is a Siemens Media production. <laughs>